Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in the fourth part of a sermon series called Reclaiming a Passion for Heaven, with this message from September 29th titled, For Heaven's Sake. Well, this morning we are concluding a four-part series which I titled, Reclaiming a Passion for Heaven. In his book, Eternity, Joseph Stoll recalls a time when, in 1988, a Bible teacher published a small booklet entitled, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 88. And in that booklet, he predicted that the second coming of Christ would occur that September. Joseph Stoll went on to write, I reviewed the booklet and did not believe the author accurately handled the scripture passages, particularly in light of the fact that Christ predicted that no man would know the time of his coming. Of course, September came and went without Christ's return. Among Christians, a few were greatly disappointed, some were indifferent, and others felt embarrassed by the prophecy. But he continued to write, still my reaction and that of many Christians, was an increased awareness that Christ would come back at any time. The implications sent my mind heavenward. On the actual September morning that the author had pinpointed for the return of Christ, I rose from my bed and for a moment wondered, what if I am wrong and he is right? What if this is the day? My thoughts during the day were often of heaven. He concluded with these words, Think of the difference it would make if each day heaven were so real to us that we anticipated being there by the day's end. My challenge to you in this series is to live with heaven on your mind because your outlook on the most important things in this life spring from your understanding or misunderstanding of heaven. If you embrace a biblical understanding of heaven, you will be able to deal with the loss of your loved ones with difficulty and suffering with the reversal of fortunes, and with the cost of serving Jesus Christ. In this series, we have considered three key aspects of eternity. We began by saying that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, in every human soul is a God-given awareness that there is something more than this transient world. And with that awareness of eternity comes a hope that we can one day find a fulfillment not afforded by the vanity in this world. These continual whispers concerning eternity means we are called to something more than we can find or experience on this earth. And then we consider the question, what happens to us the moment we die? And we concluded that the answer to that question depends upon what happens before we die. Scripture classifies a whole human race into two broad categories, the saved and the lost. The saved are those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The lost are those who haven't. And what happens to the saved is radically different from what happens to the lost. The souls of the lost are doomed to Hades, a place of continual judgment and torment. And at the great white throne judgment, they will then be cast forever into hell. The souls of the redeemed are escorted into paradise, into the presence of God, a place of exquisite pleasure and delight. Someone described entrance into eternity for the believer in this way. And I have shared this at numerous funerals of believers. What must it be like to step on shore and find it heaven? 
to take hold of a hand and find it God's to breathe new air and find it celestial to feel invigorated and find it immortality to rise from the care, the loneliness and turmoil of the earth into an unbroken calm and find it glory. Before the believer in Christ, paradise is not their final destination. As we discussed last Sunday, followers of Jesus will one day be clothed with a resurrected body, a body that is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 as being imperishable, incorruptible, and immortal. And upon that resurrection will one day reside on the new heaven and the new earth. The present pre-resurrection heaven and future post-resurrection heaven are located in different places. The exact location of the present heaven is unknown, but we are told that the future heaven will be located on the new earth. The present heaven is a place of transition between believers past lives on earth and future resurrection lives on the new earth. What will occupy us in heaven? We will worship without distraction. We will serve without exhaustion. We will fellowship without fear. We will learn without fatigue. And we will rest without boredom. As I conclude this series today, I would have us think about what it means to reclaim a passion for heaven. Or to put it into the form of a question, how does reclaiming a passion for heaven affect our lives? And to answer that, I take you to a passage of scripture that I began the series with. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul issues two commands in these verses. First, he says we are to seek things that are above. And then we are to set our minds on things above. In the first command, Paul is saying that as a Christian, you have a new direction or a new goal. You're no longer to seek the things down here on earth, but you are to set your heart on, the, on things above. You are to invest your life for eternity. And the second command is similar. The word translated set your minds is a word that means to think about something. And it is phrased in such a way here that it means to think about it constantly, continually. So if seeking the things above means having a new direction or goal, then setting your mind on things above means having a new focus. You may be living here on earth, but your mind is constantly in heaven. You have been raised with Christ and therefore you have a new focus. You are constantly to be thinking about God and the things of God rather than the things of earth. Now, this doesn't mean abandoning this world for the next, but rather living in this world in preparation for the next. Henry Blackaby writes, we too often live without a sense of eternity and without a sense of urgency or seriousness. We're often too careless or casual in the decisions we make, the relationships we establish, the priorities we live by, and the overall way in which we live but we are always one breath away from eternity. And Art Kate says, we may believe in eternity, but to what extent have we actually agreed with the world that eternity is not relevant until after we die after this life? Eternity is not merely a time frame that is endless. It is a profoundly and foremost, a qualitative thing that is available now. 
when we begin to see all our moments set in the context of eternity, we will bring to those moments a seriousness that we would not otherwise have had. For most of us, heaven is something that we have to intentionally set our minds on. But if we do, it will be worth it. The more we make heaven our preoccupation, the more our lives become radically transformed. A radical change occurs in our thoughts and in our attitudes. Everything on this earth has meaning when viewed through the lens of heaven. C.S. Lewis wrote, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next heaven then must become the target of our hearts. It is what we are meant to aim for. This is what Abraham aimed for. Heaven was his focus. It is said that he was looking for a city which has foundations who are, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, when he set out in faith to the land that God had called him to, we read that he was looking for a city which has foundations. And as a result, he lived his life in faith, doing that which God had called him to do. And this is what Jesus' disciples aimed for as well during the early days of the church. The resurrection of Christ proved to them that heaven was real. And since there was life after death, nothing on earth could distract them or discourage them. For them, heaven was worth living for and dying for if necessary. Nothing this world could possibly offer them deterred them from eternity. Heaven was their goal. Eternity was their focus. Again, quoting Joseph Stoll. Once we are convinced of this glorious consummation of sin, defiled time, space, and history, and are introduced to eternity and its heaven, we are never the same again. When seen in all its encompassing reality, heavenly, heaven quickly becomes our all-consuming point of reference. It looms above everything else, trivializing that which is earthbound and lesser. What happens then when we seek those things above? When we set our mind on things above? How will we prepare for heaven? What will we do for heaven's sake? I would first of all suggest prepare for heaven by remembering the brevity of life. The biblical emphasis on keeping eternity in our view reminds us of the brevity of our existence. The Bible compares life to a vapor that is here today and is gone tomorrow. And having this fixed in our mind points us to a reality that goes far beyond the years that we may have on this earth. Recognizing this truth, it would be foolish to obsess over such a small portion of our existence Wisdom would have us remain focused on what happens after this life is over. Dana, can I have you come forward, please? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the one I pointed to. <laughs> Try to imagine the brevity of your life in light of eternity. This tape measure, stretch it out as far as you can before you hit the wall. <laughs> Stop right there on that first step. Imagine your life in this way. 
Dana, what is the first marking on this tape measure? Marking. Can you, can you point, hold it in your hand? How much of the end is showing? <laughs> Hardly any, right? That represents our earthly life. This represents eternity. Thank you. Why is it that you and I invest so much time and effort? Thank you. Time and effort and resources into that time frame, that little mark on the end of a tape measure. So often you and I get caught up in the present, so obsessed with the here and now. When we live with an eternal perspective, we move from becoming temporalists, those consumed by the gain of the moment, to being eternalists, those consumed by the reality of God in eternity. I mean, this truth permeates the teaching of Jesus to the man who asked Christ to tell his brother to divide the family inheritance with him. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus told a parable about a man of great wealth who lived with a philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry. But he called him a fool, not because he was rich, but because he was a temporalist rather than an eternalist. He never thought about life beyond this fleeting world and, and therefore put his trust and confidence in his riches. One day you and I will breathe our last breath on this earth as we know it. We do not know when that day will be, but the time we spend on this earth is a small fraction compared to eternity. When we pass from this earth, we will stand before a holy God. And what we have amassed on earth will mean absolutely nothing. Any personal kingdoms that we establish for our own gratification will be demolished. Well, this leads to an, another way we can prepare for eternity. And that is to invest our resources wisely. When we live for heaven's sake, our thinking changes regarding our resources, our time, our talents, our material goods, our finances. Again, Joseph Stoll writes, heaven convinced Christians regard everything they have on earth as an investment in heaven. Our possessions become not something to be stockpiled here, symbols of our significance, but rather commodities to be used for eternal gain. God's word indicates that what we do here with all that we possess will be evaluated at the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. At that time, we will not be judged for our salvation because that has been secured for, through Jesus. Rather, we will be judged for our service. And listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He writes, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
When we enter into God's presence, the blaze of his glory will burn away everything that is not fit for eternity. The only thing of value, the only things that will remain will be what we have done in this side that makes a difference in the world to come. According to Paul, resources and activities used for eternal gain will endure as if they were gold, silver, or precious stone. And for those, we will be rewarded. Rewards are often described in scripture as crowns that will be given to believers. Now, we don't know if these crowns are literal or figurative. There's a strong case to be made for, for, uh, for both points of view. Either way, these are rewards that will have far more meaning to us than we could possibly imagine here on earth. Unlike salvation, these rewards are earned here on earth by our service to God. So what do you have in your possession that can be invested for gain in the world to come? What talents do you possess? What finances are at your disposal? How can you use your time for eternal purposes? You see, there should be within us a desire to construct our lives out of materials that will stand the testing by the fires of judgment. I would also suggest that we can prepare for heaven by valuing and loving people. One day Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When we have a right perspective of of eternity, it allows us to love people powerfully. Knowing our identity as sons and daughters of Christ empowers us to value other people and to give our lives away. For the glory of God. Christ constantly elevated the value of people. He touched a leper. He spoke to a beggar. He washed the feet of the disciples. He fed the multitudes. He hung on a cross in payment for our sin. So that we could be restored in our relationship with his heavenly father. Jesus never treated people casually. He never brushed them off. He never called anyone a loser. He cared enough to get involved in this twisted, ugly, unredeemed world. He unconditionally loved people. And before he ascended to heaven, after his resurrection, he told his disciples to turn their attention to people who did not know him. He said, be my witnesses, be my witnesses. Why? Because people are the only things that will last for eternity. If we believe that Christ died for those around us and that they are in need of his redemptive grace, we will value them. We will act and respond with unconditional compassion, generosity, and love. We will not view them as objects to be used or to be abused or manipulated or consumed for our own pleasure or for our own gain. We'll no longer view them as commodities. Rather, we will see them through the eyes of Jesus. People created in the image of God in need of his redemptive grace. And that means that then we need to prepare for heaven by living courageously. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders because they were proclaiming salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now standing before the religious elite could have been very intimidating, but not for these two disciples. In verse 13, we read, now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, 
they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus, being fixated on eternity with him infuses us with boldness. Let me ask you, what would you do? What would you undertake today if you had no fear in your heart at this moment? Would you share the gospel with someone? Would you go across the street and encourage your neighbor? Would you give of your finances? Would you respond and and go on a missions trip somewhere? There are no limits as to what we can do when we are obedient to the voice of God, rather than giving into fear without letting fear rule our lives. We are free to love and serve extravagantly throughout history. The courage of the church has been grounded in the reality of heaven. When threatened heaven focused Christians knew that dying was gain. When treasures were taken, they were not shaken because treasures, true treasures are in heaven. When threatened with torture, they bore up under it, knowing that the sufferings of this world of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed on the other side. For example, when German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was led to be hung for his commitment to righteousness in the face of Nazi atrocities, he confidently said, Oh God, this is the end. But for me, It is just the beginning. Not only do we prepare for heaven by living courageously. We also do by living in purity. The apostle John emphasizes this in his first epistle. He writes, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Henry David Thoreau concerning another matter said, if I do not seem to be keeping step with those about me, it is because I am listening to another drumbeat. And that is what Christians are doing. Walking to another drumbeat. It is that which makes us act differently. This is what the apostle John is telling us. He is emphatically saying, now we are the children of God. Eternal life belongs to us now. We're not waiting until we die to get it, but we are born again right now. We have the life of Christ in us now. We are joint heirs of all God's glories and promises now. Therefore, we walk in purity now. Recognizing that our souls are eternal, that we are grooming ourselves, real selves for heaven. We live in purity. With our minds focused on eternal union and reunion with a God who is absolutely holy and a savior who is wholly pure and could return at any moment, we feel an urgency to be ready with purity in our hearts. In living for heaven's sake, we will not be lured by all that is in this world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, because we recognize that these are not from our heavenly father, but rather from the world. And so we're called to live for heaven's sake. We're called to live with heaven on our mind. We're challenged to reclaim a passion for heaven, understanding that our perspective on the future impacts our decisions in the present. But in the grind of daily life, it can be difficult to think about living with a heavenly perspective. 
We have weekly schedules, family and work often rest at the forefront of our minds and, and leave us with a very limited scope of what God is really doing in our midst. So it's for this reason, we must intentionally train our minds to think about heaven. Unfortunately, the vast majority of people pay no attention to eternity. They're living for the here and the now, which is a waste because everything that's here and now isn't going to matter in five minutes or much less 50 years and certainly not for eternity. However, the faithful in Christ, those who are preparing for heaven, who have their eyes set on things above and not on the things of this world, are gladly willing to give up the pleasures and comforts of this world because they are convinced something better is being prepared for them in heaven. Furthermore, their hearts desire God and seek him more than anything else. And so Dan Schaefer asks these penetrating and challenging questions that I put to you this morning. Do you believe there's a heaven waiting for you? Do you believe the next world is eternal and therefore superior to this one? Do you believe that Jesus said when he warned us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth, but in heaven? Do you believe we ought to really set our minds on things above and not on the things of this earth? Do you believe that your works done on this earth will one day be judged to determine your eternal reward? Do you believe that you have a limited time to prepare for eternity? If you answered yes to these questions, there is one more question to ask. Are you living as if that is true? We can rephrase it another way. What are you really living for? What am I really living for? When heaven is a habit of our hearts, we love more freely, worship more deeply, share more gladly, and we suffer and sacrifice more readily. When the other side is real, everything on this side is radically and wonderfully rearranged. So think of the difference it would make if each day heaven were so real to us that we anticipated being there by the day's end. As you and I get out of bed each morning, maybe the thought that occupy, ought to occupy our mind is this. What if it were today? What if it were today? How can you prepare for eternity for heaven's sake? Father, we thank you for that wonderful hope and promise we have of everlasting life with you. That one day we will be raised with an immortal, imperishable, and incorruptible body. As believers, we will dwell upon that new heaven and that new earth. We'll continually be in your presence. And Father, what a day that will be. But I pray that we would live with eternity on our mind that it would be deeply embedded in our heart and that it would make a profound difference in the way that we spend our time, our money, the way we use our talents, our resources. May we do all for your honor and your glory so that when we cross the line, when we enter into your presence, we hear those words that we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into my presence, into the joy 
that I have prepared for you. Father, may that be the longing of our heart and as a result, the activity of our life. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash templebaptistchurch or search on your favorite podcast app.